In October 1967, 26-year-old Mary Sevier set off from Sussex in England to ride to India on a motorcycle. The bike she had chosen for her trip was a 1966 BSA Bantam with a single-cylinder 175cc two-stroke engine. She reached India and kept going all the way around the world. The journey would take her nine years, making her the first British woman to circumnavigate the world alone on a motorcycle. My name is Martin Moore, and I'm a journalist and filmmaker. In November 2021, I sat down with Mary and asked her to tell her story. Episode 6. Australia gets even tougher. The foreman decided, because he'd saved me, he'd have his wicked way with me. So he sent all the others off to, I don't know what to do, prepare a meal somewhere, I suppose, because we did have a meal. And he then grabbed me inside this mobile home, put his arms round me, and he was as tall as me, but there was three of me to one of him. He was Italian or of Italian stock. And I thought, oh God, don't fancy my chances here at all. And I thought, I've got to do some really fast thinking, otherwise I'm in trouble. And he started to get very amorous. And I tapped him on the nose and I said, uh, you know who I am, don't you? Yes. I said, you do realise that the newspapers are following me around? Oh. And when I get to wherever it was, Tennant's Creek, I think, he said, they're going to ask me how my journey was through the cyclone devastated road. I said, I believe you have a wife and some children. I said, you really wouldn't want your wife to read about what I might tell the newspapers. And he said, oh, and that was it. <laughs> oh my God, I couldn't believe it. It was not terribly funny. Uh, I mean, it would have been bloody uncomfortable for starters, <laughs> apart from anything else. And he was awful, he really was. I'm sure he had a kind heart, but <laughs> he, he was awful. <laughs> never mind, never mind. Oh dear me. Um, so then, yeah, so then, then I managed, after that, the road wasn't so bad. And I, it was a sand track, but most of the road had been a sand track anyway. So then I, I, I went on. And then I was on about the last 30 kilometres of the dirt road going from Perth to Darwin. And I know I was gung-ho. I thought, I've only got 30 kilometres more of this. Oh, this is fantastic and I was going too fast. And they have what is called bull dust in Australia. And it's like a talcum powder. And you have to concentrate on the road because the bull dust is a slightly different, well, this was my experience. The bull dust is a slightly different color because it's probably much finer than ordinary dust. So it was a lighter colour. So if you saw a stretch of lighter coloured 
sand, that was going to be bulldust and it would, there would be a hole, a pothole. And I noticed this at the last minute and the front wheel went down into the hole and the, wheel the front wheel turned round on me and I went straight on and I landed on the top of my knee and I turned round and managed to get back to the bike, switch it off. Uh, petrol was, I think, tipping out of it. So I managed to get the bike up, uh, but I did take a picture of the bike. And I've got, yes, I have got it. And at the moment, provided it can be cleaned up, it will be the front cover of my book, Mary Motorcycle, because there is the bike lying in the middle of this dirt road and the road just goes on into the distance with scrubland. And I think certainly any motorcyclist who's done any form of traveling is going to feel something when they see that picture. And I knew about it a long time ago when people were constantly saying, you've got to write a book, you've got to write a book. And I thought, yeah, well, if I, if I can find that picture, that is what I am going to use. It doesn't have to be me on the front. There is the BSA Bantam lying on its side with the luggage still intact because I didn't have much luggage when I went around Australia. Um, so I picked the bike up and I didn't really pay much attention to what I'd done to my leg. And I think I had to take the mudguard off because that had buckled. So I strapped that on the back. And then I went to a police post <clears throat> and the policeman <laughs> came out of his house and he'd got a collar on <laughs> and he'd fallen down the steps, I think, on Christmas Day. <laughs> I thought one beer too many, you silly man. And he wasn't interested in the fact that I've hurt my leg. I've hurt my leg really badly and I don't know what to do. So I thought, right, forget you. So I went on and I knew there was going to be a petrol pump somewhere. And I got to the petrol pump and it literally was just a, a sort of shanty place run by an old boy and his daughter. And I managed, by this stage, I did manage to get off the bicycle myself. But my leg had swollen up so much that the only way they could get my jeans off was by splitting the seam right the way down the side and, and unwrapping it off my leg. And my leg was the colour of a really beautiful sunset. It was blue and red. Uh, and and it, it hurt like hell. Anyway, they gave me some painkillers. And by this stage, I could hardly move. It hurt so much. And they laid me on a camp bed. And I was there for two or three days, if I remember rightly. Um, and they tried calling the flying doctor. And I thought, oh gosh, this is what everybody wants when they're in Australia, to have the flying doctor come in. You don't really think the flying doctor exists. <laughs> but I think, the right, I think their radio didn't work, so they couldn't get the flying doctor. <laughs> and I couldn't stay there forever. So they said, right, well, what we're going to do is we're going to pick you up, put you on the bike, and then they're feeding me with painkillers. And then you go to Catherine, go to the petrol station, fill up with petrol, don't go to the hospital. Whatever anybody says, don't go to the hospital because it's really bad. And it was in those days, I'm not saying it is now. And then go on to Darwin, where I was going to stay with a school friend of mine. 
So that's what I did. I got to Catherine and I couldn't get off the bike. And the two boys in the petrol station said, uh, what do we do, fill it up? So I said, yes, but you've got to put some oil in. So I said, here you are, here's the filler cap. I want that amount of oil to go in because it's two stroke. So they said, well, get off the bike. So I said, I can't get off the bike. I said, can you put the bike onto its stand? Then I said, you've got to try and get me off the bike. So I said, if I go onto my good leg, you can pull me off. And they laid me on the ground next door to the petrol pumps. And then they picked me up and they put me back onto the bike. And I went out of Catherine. And I remember a police car stopping me, uh, which didn't mean anything until later on. And the police were saying, hello, how are you? Are you all right? Uh, everything OK? So I said, yes, yes, I'm fine. I'm going to stay with a friend of mine in Darwin because I had Union Jacks everywhere. So I think they all knew who I was. So I get to Darwin and I find my school friend and she comes out of the house and she said, you were supposed to be here three days ago. I said, Sally, I have come 3,000 miles from Perth. You have lived in Australia for a number of years. Surely you didn't really expect me to arrive on the day I thought I was going to arrive. And I said, and I've had an accident as well. That's why I'm late. What's wrong? So she took me to the hospital. And of course, in the hospital, there were these young doctors. They were used to people coming in who'd broken their necks uh, off tractors, been eaten by alligators or whatever they have up there, probably been run down by kangaroos. Uh, but somebody falling off a motorbike, well, that was nothing. And, and they just slapped me on the back, said, oh, she'll be right, she'll be right. You're all right, Sheila, off you go. So off I went, because I was in absolute agony. So Sally took me to her doctor and her I'm not sure, I think, I think I'd been on television. No, because he bound up my leg. No, I went to the doctor and he gave, he gave Sally painkillers and he said, don't give them to her. You keep them and you give her one every night before she goes to bed because they are very, very strong. And I think he thought maybe I was going to overdose <laughs> as if I would. <laughs> Um, and then I went on television. Uh, I was interviewed by the newspapers. Then I went on television, Darwin or Northern Territory television. And I was sitting there with my leg up and I said that I had been a court shorthand writer and I'd been trained as a legal secretary in a firm of lawyers. <coughs> and while I was actually being interviewed live, three solicitors phoned and said, we're terribly sorry to hear about Mary's accident, but..." If she's got to stay here for six weeks or so and can't ride the bike, would she like to come and work for us? <laughs> and I, I can only assume that, well, in, in, in Northern Territory, nobody worried about any form of law at all. But I think possibly in those days, anybody could work. Not now, it's restricted usually to, to students. Well, was it 25 years? And even maybe that stopped as well, I don't know. <clears throat> so um, I went and worked for a, a firm of solicitors found that they weren't totally honest, or well, not, not by my standards anyway. But then I moved out from the friend of mine, the, I, my school friend, and I went and stayed in the YWCA, which was really good because most of the other residents there were Aboriginal girls who'd come in from the outback and they were doing education. So I would never have met them if, if, if I hadn't been there. 
So everything had a purpose, as it were. Um, and I got on very, very well with them, and, and, I, and I earned money while I, was, while I was in Darwin. And then the doctor had said I wasn't to bend my leg um, for about six weeks, sit on the bike and, and actually use it. And then it did get better, but it is actually quite numb here. Um, so then I headed off down to Alice Springs, uh, and then I didn't climb up the rock, which in those days, well, Airs Rock, which one was allowed to in those days. Um, because I was scared that I would fall and injure my leg. And, and I thought climbing up would put pressure on it. And I thought, no, the motorcycle trip, really, I have to concentrate on that um, and not climb up. Um, I would love to have done, but no, I, I didn't. Uh, and then I said, went back to what they call three ways. And this is a road that comes down from Darwin to Alice. And about halfway down, it goes east, yes, east to Townsville. And the rains had arrived. And the road, instead of being sand, was mud. And there were cars parked all the way along this road out in the middle of nowhere. And there was a train line. And the train would stop for all these people who were standing beside the railway hitchhiking on the train with their cars left, because the, the mud was way past, the, they couldn't even open their doors. Um, and of course, I couldn't ride the bike. Um, it's totally impossible. So I put the bike onto, into a, a, a wagon. Um, and once I got to where the road was tarred again, so there wasn't mud, then I got off and I went to Townsville. <clears throat> and then I went down the East Coast, um, you know, Brisbane, and then when I got, well, it was somewhere around Brisbane, I went into a Dunlop agency uh, and said, I've got sleeves inside my tires and I think they should be taken out because now I'm on tarred roads and I don't think it's doing the tires any good. So a very nice man in there looked at, my, my, at the tires and he said, quite frankly, I think probably you need new ones, but I'll take them off. And this was when, as I said earlier, the thorns had gone right through the tyres into these sleeves, but had not actually got right through to hit the, the inner tubes, which was, you know, I was very lucky. Um, and he said, well, you need new tyres. So he got on the telephone, I suppose, to his area manager, and he said, um, I've got Mary Motorcycle here. She needs new tyres. Um, and she always uses Dunlop. And... Uh, She's been right round Australia, almost right round Australia, and she hasn't had a flat tire. So the man on the other end of the phone said, uh, has she had a flat tire at all? So he asked me and I said, yes, I had a flat tire in East Africa. Um, some sort of um, bits, bits of slate went through, went through the tire uh, and I had the inner tube replaced on, on a farm there. But I said, otherwise, no, nothing at all. And the area manager, for some reason, said, well, it's not newsworthy. No, 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 not interested in giving her anything. So the man I was dealing with, the agent, slammed the phone down and he said, I'll give you the tires. He said, you did something that not just I, but a lot of other people would like to do. We think we might do it, but we will never do it. And the least I can do is help you for what you have done 
So I said, well, that's very sweet of you. Thank you. And I did actually tell the story to Dunlop, who sponsored Overland in September. And to a certain extent, I, I think the reason they gave me two tires for my bike was because they wanted to show up the Australians who wouldn't give, give me two tires. Um, and then eventually I made it back to Melbourne and I went to the newspaper who of course knew I had got back and I said uh, yeah, they, wanted, they, they wanted me to write an article uh, for the Sunday newspaper so I did um, and I think the Sydney Herald also did it when I got back to Sydney when I was leaving on the ship um, and then the man from Northern Territory, the editor I think his name was Norman he said, uh, the next time Mary Motorcycle comes in, I suppose I've got to see her, haven't I? <laughs> and they said, yes. <laughs> so I went in and he stood up and he shook my hand and he said, I owe you an apology. He said, I told you you wouldn't make it. And they said, you've made it. He said, and you've had a few experiences. We've read about it. And he said, you've come through. So he said, no. Yep. All I can do is apologise to you. So I said, no, it was a good warning. No, I, I deserved it. I needed it. Uh, it made me aware. Um, no, 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 I, 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 don't, don't, I don't hold it against you at all. So then uh, from Melbourne, I went off to, to Canberra to stay with the parents of somebody I had met in Afghanistan. Then I got to Sydney and I went into the shipping office because I was going to catch a, a cruise ship to New Zealand and I'd already been in touch with them and I went in and all I said was um, I've got a motorcycle is it possible that it can go in the hold and they said uh, yeah that'll be fine um, how much is your how big is your bike so I said 40 cubic feet <laughs> I'd learnt <laughs> and they again they put it into a room uh, and they I said what do I do with the bike so uh, they said, uh, just take it down. When you go on board, just take it down. And he said, one of our managers will be there to see you. He'll be waiting for you. Um, and of course, what I didn't realize was, it was, I suppose, a bit naive of me. They had all read about this article, this two-page spread that I had written in the Sunday newspaper, all about my trip round Australia. And it was um, the editor, I said to the editor, what do you want me to do? I mean, what's the point of just sort of saying how I went around Australia? Um, so I said, give me some questions. So he gave me some questions and I had to answer them. And uh, one of them was, um, how do you feel about this macho image that is put out about Australian men? So I said, well, they don't seem to be terribly macho as far as I can see. Uh, <laughs> I said, I had an experience, actually. <laughs> I went to Tasmania, and very few people go to Tasmania because they haven't got time. It's, it's too out of the way. And I was coming back on the pot, Princess of Tasmania, and I was sitting with a, a girl that I had met in a youth hostel. And uh, my crash helmet was on, on, the, on the floor in the, in, in the lounge. Um, and uh, you know, I suppose it was summer. Uh, so... I had a blouse on and um, I expect I probably had makeup because normally I did. Um, and I said, and through the door of the lounge came this gorgeous young man. 
I'm really sorry to interrupt at such a critical point in Mary's story here, but this was the point when one of the cameras ran out of memory card, and so the next couple of minutes of audio is taken from a smaller camera and is not the same quality. I think he can still hear it, and he can certainly get the gist of her story. Sorry about that. Oh, he was to die for. So the friend I was sitting next door to went, nudge, nudge, look what's just walked in. So I said, Craw! And he came along, and he came along our row, and he wasn't that crowded. He came along the row, and he sat about two seats away from me, and he held out his hand, and he said, uh, hello, good evening. He said, obviously, we're going to be spending the night next door to each other, crossing over to Melbourne. Do let me introduce myself. My name is Philip. So I fluttered my eyelids as much as I could, held my hand out, and I said, how do you do, Philip? My name's Mary. And he dropped my hand. And I said, oh, um, what's the matter? And he said, uh, I'm terribly sorry. So I said, what's the matter? And he said, I can't explain. So I said, well, I think you're going to. We're supposed to be spending the night near each other. I said, all I said is my name is Mary. Have you had, you know, have you had a wife called Mary walk out on you? Has your mother died who was called Mary? I know, a child in a family called Mary who has departed this world? Please explain to me. And he had his head in his hands and he said, I thought you were another homosexual. So I said, please don't let it worry you. You're the first Australian man who thought I was effeminate. I mean, it was hysterical. I got pulled out. I got yelled at for going into ladies' lavatories. And I used to wear lipstick. Well, I suppose, yeah, maybe lots of them are homosexual. Oh, my God. But, you know, the Australians hear this. That'd be furious. But it was quite, quite extraordinary. Anyway, I mentioned this in this newspaper article. I, you know, changed the names and everything. Um, and when I got down to the quayside to go on this uh, cruise ship, Greek, Greek cruise ship, going across to New Zealand, um, there was this very tall, distinguished-looking man, who I should think probably was the managing director. And because I had mentioned in this newspaper article that I was sailing on this particular Greek ship to go to New Zealand to see all my family there, I had paid for a berth in a three-berth cabin. And my bike was taken away from me, and this man, who may or may, or may not have been a managing director, called a steward, who sort of gingerly picked up my pannier, my, my rucksacks and haversacks off my motorbike, and up we trotted, and we started going upwards. And I said, excuse me, I didn't know where you're going, but I said, I'm in a cabin somewhere down here. No, you're not. So I said, Yes, I am. I said, I've seen, a, I've seen a, a plan of the ship. And I said, I'm down below. And he said, no, no, no. He said, you're up here. And I walked in and I had been given a director's cabin because I had mentioned the ship in the newspaper article. And I didn't realise that they knew who I was. Um, but yes, they did. So. The Merry Motorcycle Podcast is the unedited audio track from a film about Mary Sevier made by Martin Moore and produced by Saul Jevons. Listen to episode 7 now 